This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So he said, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now what was their problem? Please notice verse 17. Because thou sayest... I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now remember we read over in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which ministers grace to the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now we see that what they're saying and what their attitude is, is what's grieved the Holy Spirit to keep them from being fruit-producing Christians. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But here's the real condition. That's how they saw themselves, but here's how God saw them. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but those seem to be two opposite positions. They're saying, here's how we see ourselves. We are so with it. God says, you don't see. You don't recognize that you're poor, you're miserable, you're wretched, and you're naked. I may have left something out in there. I'm not sure. He said, you're exactly the opposite of what you think you are. Now, what in the world caused them to see themselves wrongly? What would cause us to see ourselves differently than the way that we really are? Folks, there's only one thing that does that, and that is if you've been taken in the snare of the devil so that now you're doing your will. They think they're doing the will of God, but they're really doing the devil's will. What is the devil's will? To take the position that we have got it all together. Why? Why is that trapped by the devil? Because if you think you've got it all together, you're not trying to find out what the Bible says about how you should live otherwise. One of the greatest traps that the devil sets is complacency. Now, folks, there's a difference between being content and being complacent. Paul said, I've learned to be content, but he was never complacent. He never stopped growing. He never stopped pursuing the things of God. He came to the place where he accepted. These are the circumstances. Fine, I'll deal with them. They're not comfortable. They're not always pleasant. But I've learned in whatever circumstances I am, I am in to be content because I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what he's saying is, I've learned to be content with the circumstances because Jesus' power always is available and always works for me. In other words, I can always put the word to work. So I can be content. Whether things are good or whether things look bad, I can be content. But he was never complacent. He never got to the place where he stopped moving forward, where he stopped examining himself to put the word of God to work in his life. Now, how do you change that? If you find yourself in that position... If you're in a lukewarm place in your life, what do you do? How do you change that? How do you start looking at yourself with the right point of view? Let's keep reading. Jesus gives them the answer. Verse 18, he said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What's he saying? He's saying, this is his chastening. You need to buy gold for me that's tried in the fire. 
Now turn back with me a couple of pages to 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me explain to you how gold is purified. In the old days, gold would be purified. They didn't have some of the furnaces that they have now, and so the processes were a little bit different. But in the old days, uh, in Bible days certainly, gold was ground into a powder. And that powder was then mixed with something called flux, or what we'd call today flux. I don't know what they called it back then. And it, and, and, and what happens, gold is a real soft material, soft metal. And so the only thing that makes gold hard is if you mix it with other metals. But if you want pure gold, then you gotta get rid of the other metals. So that's what you do. You take the, you take the gold or the, the mixture, the metal mixture, and you grind it into powder. Then you mix it with this powder called flux. And then you heat it all up. Now the flux causes the other metals to be drawn to it, and then that creates what's called dross, and then they, uh, they, you know, pull off the dross from the top, and what you're left with is pure gold. There's a problem with that because when Jesus says, I counsel you to buy gold for me, try it in the fire, that means a couple of things. That means, number one, being ground into powder. Now, I don't care what spiritual context you put that in. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> the second thing is being heated up till you melt. I can't find a lot of expectancy, you know, joyful expectancy in that one either. Yet that's exactly what the Bible says. Because the afflictions is the powdering, is the, is the grinding up, is the, the heating process of our lives. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, test trials and afflictions. Knowing this, you're being purified like gold. That's not what he says. He says the trying of your faith work is patience. But that's what the result is. That we're purified like gold. We learn through trouble. I don't want to learn that way, Pastor Mike. I want to learn through success. Okay. Well, there are times where we can. But that's like saying, I want to learn to be a bodybuilder without going to the weight room. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to exert any energy. I just want to have big muscles. Well, there's a way you can do that. You can inject yourself. But guess what? That doesn't turn out well. All kinds of things happen when people take drugs and stuff like that to supplement or substitute for the hard work of making yourself stronger. Spiritually, it works the same way. You cannot inject yourself. There is no injection. You can make yourself look like it, but there is no immediate fix or instant way to make it happen. The only way it's going to happen is you going through life experiences, and some of those are going to be tough. That's why James said, here's how you learn to handle it. Count it all joy. It's not joy, but count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, you're being ground to powder and purified like gold. Did you find First Peter yet? First Peter chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the Lord and Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations the word temptations means chest trials and afflictions 
That the trial of your faith, what are we rejoicing about, Peter? That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. Peter uses the same example by the Holy Ghost that Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3. That the trying of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What's he saying? He's saying that when we count it all joy, when we fall into diverse temptations, when we go through test trials and afflictions, when people are speaking against us, when circumstances have given us opportunities to be snared by the devil into offenses, he's saying when we handle those things spiritually, when we handle those things according to the Word of God, here's what results. God doesn't care anything about real gold as far as we're concerned. The gold that he's speaking of is the glory of God realized in our lives. What's he saying? He's saying when you... Refuse to be offended and put the word to work instead. When you refuse to, be, to enter into unforgiveness and put the word of God to work instead, you manifest the glory of God. Now here's the problem. It doesn't feel like the glory of God. It feels like we're accepting defeat. It feels like we're letting somebody do something to us again and again and again and again and again. And that's why we talked for the last several weeks about what does forgiveness really mean? Does it mean forgetting? Does it mean opening yourself up and letting somebody take advantage of you over and over again? What does it really mean? We found out that the Bible says it means a lot of different things than what people say it means in the church world. But let me show you where the glory of God is realized. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 7. Let me show you how it works. Acts chapter 7 is where... uh, Peter is giving his defense. Um, maybe we should back up a little bit. Stephen is one of the, um, the seven that are chosen. Let me start reading in chapter 6, verse 8. We'll read a couple of verses in uh, the 6th chapter to get the, um, uh, the context of what's being said, and then we'll skip over to chapter 7, pick out a couple of verses there. Verse 8, Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. There, then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenaeans and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. I love that verse of scripture. They couldn't resist his wisdom or his spirit. Those are two different things. Not just what he said, but how he said it. The spirit that he delivered the things of God, the truth of the word. And they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, folks, here's what happens with people that are contrary to the things of God and are going to fight against God no matter what. They'll lie about what you said. Here's the way the devil operates. He operates this way in the church a lot, too. Among those who have been snared by him, Among those who have chosen to be offended at the truth of the word, the affliction or the persecution has arisen for the word's sake, and so they allow themselves to be offended. So what do they do? They start speaking out against everybody that preaches the truth or what they think is untrue. It's the way the devil operates. It shouldn't be a surprise when people speak against you. It shouldn't be a surprise when people lie about what you say. It's the way the devil works. 
If people aren't lying about what you say, I'm wondering, what are you saying? You must not be making waves with anything relative to the truth of God's Word. Now, I'm not saying go try to pick a fight so that you can say, hey, people are talking against me. But right on the other hand, shouldn't something happen along the way where people know what you believe about the truth of the Word? So they stirred up men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon them and caught them and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, liars, we have heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw that his face as it had been the face of an angel. Can I ask you a question? How does Luke know? How does Luke know that? Was he there? We don't have any record that Luke was there whatsoever. How could he be in the council? How could he be in this religious council? How could he know that they looked at Stephen and saw the face of an angel? How could he know? There's only one possible answer, and that is that if the people that came out of the council after all this was over said, you know, when we looked at him, it was like his face was an angel's face. It had to have been reported for Luke to tell us by the Holy Ghost. So Stephen begins his defense. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Moses. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Moses and children of Israel being delivered from, uh, from Egypt. He talked about the law of Moses. He talked about uh, everything about the history of, uh, um, the Jew- Jewish people up until his time. And then he said, um, well, let's start in verse 47. But Solomon built him a house. He's worked his way up to Solomon now in the Jewish history. This is chapter 7, verse 47. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets. Here's what the prophet said. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? Now here's what Stephen does. Stephen, a man full of faith, a man full of power, a man full of wisdom, a man full of the, the Spirit of God. Stephen then looks at him and says... I just want you to know I love you so much. You folks don't understand what you're doing. I get that. Notice notice the next verse. Notice verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Can I ask you a question? Where's the love? (laughs) Is Stephen sinning in what he's doing? Is there any sin in recognizing who people are, what motivates them, and what they're really about. Any sin in that whatsoever? Not according to Stephen's example. Well, then there must not be for us either. It's not a sin to recognize what's going on, folks. That's why we spent the last several weeks talking about what forgiveness really is according to what the Bible says versus according to what religious people say that it is. Because this syrupy sweet, never stand up for what's right, that's not the love of God. That's not what forgiveness always does. There are times when forgiveness keeps his mouth shut and overlooks something, but that's not always the case. And this idea of forgive and forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean forget. Because if you forget, Jesus didn't even say it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, we read it earlier, he said if somebody trespassed against you and asked for repentance seven times a day, do it. He didn't say forget that it happened. He didn't say realize, you know, act like, oh, well, it, it wasn't really an offense. 
Well, of course it was an offense. That's why you have to forgive. Having your eyes shut and your head buried in the sand is not the love of God. The love of God sees things for what it is. It judges things rightly, but it judges things according to the word. It recognizes here's the situation, but here's what the Bible says to do about it. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's Word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And have they slain them? And, and they have slain them which showed them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. You're the one that murdered Jesus. How do you think he expects this to turn out? of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers of the prophets as well as Jesus, who have received the law by disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, folks, please understand what that last phrase means. It means they ran on him and bit him and tried to tear his flesh with their teeth. Now, the council are the religious people. This is how religious people act when they're confronted with the truth that they can't resist. They're willing to kill you even if they have to bite you to death. And there's a spiritual application in that too. The Bible says, beware, if you bite and devour one another, you'll be devoured yourselves. Now that's talking about spiritually, but here's a pretty good example of how that works. And they gnashed on him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What's Jesus standing up for? I thought he was seated at the right hand of God. What's he standing up for unless he's ready to come help Stephen get out of that mess? Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast them out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's what the love of God does, folks. Here's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness recognizes things for what they are and chooses, based on the circumstances, based on the situation, chooses to take a position that's godly, to take a position that's in line with the Word. Let me show you another place over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll close with this one. There's a lot more that we could say here, but we'll just let this stand for itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. They had their own issues that were many-fold. 
But notice what he says. He's talking about Christian relationships and, and uh, uh, things like that. Beginning in verse 1, he said, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? What he's saying very simply is, wait a minute, why are you Christians going to the law of the world rather than dealing with these things among yourselves and among the church so that we can keep it in-house? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He's talking about financial things. He's talking about monetary stuff. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? In other words, if we're going to be able to judge the angels one day, shouldn't we be able to judge rightly between contract issues and legal matters? If you then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. In other words, he's saying this stuff should be handled by any Christian. I mean, the baby Christians ought to be able to handle this kind of stuff. I mean, the lowest person in the church, the people that you think are the most uneducated, they ought to be able to handle this kind of stuff. Why? Because the love of God should rule. You know what the the greatest um, problems in, in court is? Divorce court. You get Christians in there, they will kill one another. We've got some, well, at least one divorce lawyer in the church, and she'll tell you stories. It's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. Why? Because people get in court, they let offenses build up, they take things to such a position that they are willing to absolutely destroy each other. Counseling, marriage counseling is a real blast. Because usually what it comes down to is it comes down to two people both trying to convince me that they've married the Antichrist. Well, only one time has that ever been the case, that in my experience. <laughs> Verse 5, Paul says, I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Wisdom should be able to handle things between Christians. No, not one that shall be able to judge between brethren, but brother goes to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. What's he saying? He's saying we ought to be able to fix these things between two people that are filled with the love of God. Now, folks, you know situations arise as well as I do where you've got people that are pretending to be Christians, people that come into the church for the purpose of taking advantage of other believers. Because Christians are the most gullible people on the face of the earth. And the reason for that is because they've got this false idea, this false sense of what the love of God is supposed to do. Most people, most of the church world thinks that, that walking in love means you've got to be a doormat. Jesus was never a doormat. But there were times where he kept his mouth shut. There were times where he accepted wrong being done to him. And that's what the love of God does. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you don't have a right to go to church. He's not denying that. Certainly you have a right to go to, I said to church, you have a right to go to court. You have a right to, to exercise your legal rights and your legal position. You have a right to do that. But why, if you're dealing with believers, if you're dealing with another person that should be in, interested in walking in the love of God and doing what's right too, he said, why wouldn't you handle those things among yourselves? Even if it means you take it in the ear and say, okay, this isn't going to my favor, but I choose to accept it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this in the Amplified Version. 
It says love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It doesn't say love doesn't have its own rights. It says love doesn't insist on its own rights or on its, or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done unto it and pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, that's what the love of God does. That's what happens. And, folks, there's a lot of times where offenses are concerned, where things happen, circumstances happen. I've had people come to me over and over and over again where they say, Pastor Mike, I just don't understand why this is happening to me. I just don't understand why this circumstance took place. I just don't understand why God allowed this. I just don't understand this, that, or the other. And I'll always, 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 rather than try to convince them of what the Bible says and God being on their side, I'll always Lead them first to say, look, the Bible says this scripture is the answer. Let's get the answer first, and then you can get your questions answered later. Because what I found out is that if I can get somebody healed, if I can get somebody to receive their healing, then later on they don't have the problem. Later on they don't have the question. All this stuff that they're going to, bless God, I'm going to ask the Lord. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. Well, he might have a couple of things to ask you. But this idea that God owes us an answer, that God owes us something other than the Word. Folks, the Word works in every situation. What else do you need? Yeah, but I just don't understand this. Well, join the club. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand, but it doesn't change the truth of the Word. So what are we going to do? We're going to stick with the things that we don't understand. We're going to spend the rest of our life asking questions, which a lot of Christians do. Well, I just don't understand. Well, grow up. There's a lot of things you'll never understand. But it doesn't change the truth of the word. And the word always gives you the answer. And sometimes the answer is to accept wrong done to you. Doesn't mean you got your eyes shut. Doesn't mean it's a character weakness or a character flaw. It means you choose to put the word of God first. And sometimes suffering wrong is the love of God in action. That's what Stephen did. Stephen looked at the people that were opposing him and recognized who they were. He said, you're stiff-necked people. You've always opposed the things of God. Your fathers did. You're doing the same thing. And then when they began to stone him, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. He recognized what they were doing was a sin. But he said, don't punish him for it, Lord. Don't punish him. That's the glory of God in action in your life. That's what brings the glory of God to bear in your life. Paul talked about our light affliction. Second Corinthians chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, he said, Our light affliction, which works for us an eternal weight of glory. We have temporary things, temporary circumstances that we deal with here, but if we handle them according to what the Bible says to do, it will work the glory of God out in our lives. And folks, nothing is worth, nothing is more important than the glory of God in your life. Trust me on that one. If you've never experienced that, then make that your goal. Because you can trust me on that. Nothing. Nothing. No circumstance, things working out your way. Nothing is more important than having the glory of God realized and revealed in your life. Forgiveness is the key to walking in peace and walking in victory in life. Unforgiveness will hinder your faith and rob you of the blessings of God. Thanks for being with us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. 
What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.